Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 434, a palindromic episode of the Material Podcast. I'm Andy Anatko. Florence Ion is traveling this week. She's off having some fun, and she'll be back next week. So we have some interesting things to talk about this week, but obviously this is going to be a little bit more casual because uh, obviously I'm going to save all the big stories for when Flo and I can chat about it together next week. Who am I kidding? Not a whole lot of big stories. Actually, there's only one that I put aside, but we're going to have a good show anyway. Um, actually, I'm really, really looking forward to this because uh, it is Thursday morning. Normally, we record Wednesday night. When I do a solo, I prefer to like write the show Wednesday night, stay up late, and then get some sleep and then record it when I'm fresh. And so it's I'm usually not up this early, and I've told myself that as soon as I'm done recording this, I can go up the street and have a diner breakfast. And I haven't had a diner breakfast in like a month no, two months, even longer than that. And I checked the specials board and they have pumpkin pancakes, like not just shaped like pumpkins, but they're also uh, flavored with actual like fresh pumpkin. So uh, this is probably not going to be a three hour episode. That's probably, <laughs> we will attend to everything we were meant to attend to, but then pumpkins are calling to me. Well, let's see. Uh, speaking of pumpkins, Octoberish thing. Okay. So for some reason, it's, it's, it's like festival month in my neighborhood for some reason, like for some reason, the neighborhood business or tourism committee or whatever, they've made a lot of things happen this month in particular to like, to get the, the, the elsewhere people to roll in like the weekend, the weekend holiday makers, so to speak. And when I, f uh, when I first moved here, each one of these events was wonderful and incredible and special. Even at the start of this year, they were kind of special, but now it's October and I might be getting a little bit blasé about these things. Like as somebody whose personality and now whose age uh, tends to make me like hyper aware of how much easier it is to not go out than it is to go out. Like living in a quaint colonial seaside village has been medically positive because it's hard to motivate me to set out for let's say like an art, an outdoor arts festival or food truck night that's happening. If it's like 10 minutes away, just 10 minutes away, but still like it's so much easier not to go. <laughs> All my stuff is here. I'm settled in. Um, but when these things are happening literally outside my doorstep and I'm using the literal term version of the word literal here, it's hard to argue against my internal caretaker, especially when it's accusing me of just being lazy. Like you're not willing to, you're not willing to put on sneakers and go outside, literally just step outside, get, get those shoes on. But again, it's, it's the middle of October. And at this point, again, a certain amount of fatigue kind of sets in. Like even my internal caretaker who wants me to go out and you know, be social, like he's like, oh, but you know what? I just poured myself like a whole tumbler of soda here. It's really cold and yeah, I mean, just because Steve Martin's filming a movie in the park, do I want to be one of those psycho fans who drops everything they're doing and walk all the way across the street just to get a glimpse of them? That actually kind of happened, not with Steve Martin, but there was a move, an actual big movie that was filming right in my neighborhood, uh, and <laughs> I, I did, I did, I did spend some time because I wanted to, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got, I got, I got certain glimpses of of Kevin, Blake, Kevin Bacon and some photos of Kevin Bacon. So that, so that was worth it, but okay. But I'm giving you an example here. This is on my mind because the last food truck night of the season, like every once a month, whole bunch of food trucks come into the neighborhood and I can get like amazing food, just 
like right outside. And the last one of the season was last week. And the first one of the season, which I think was back in April, I think I spent like 30 or $40 on dinner that night because I sampled lots and lots of different things. And I got like not just one cupcake from the cupcake truck, but I got like three cupcakes so I can enjoy cupcakes all weekend long. Okay. But last week I almost forced myself to go out for a walk, you know, and, and, and walk around and see what was going on again, thanks to the pressures of that internal caretaker of mine. But then I just like picked up a small pizza <laughs> from my neighborhood pizza place, like as usual, because I was like, uh, bar barbecued pulled pork sandwich. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I really just want to, I just really just want a Hawaiian pizza from, from, from next door. But the, the real fatigue was on display like the day after food truck night, because there was an Oktoberfest. Okay. And there can't, there can't be any fatigue about Oktoberfest because this was the first time my village had an Oktoberfest. I did not even know that this was a particularly German enthusiastic neighborhood, but apparently, uh, yeah. Okay. And Oktoberfest is by definition, it's a festival of beer and meats. I'm not so much a beer person, but I'm very much a meat person, uh, both in body and in constitution and spirit and ethical ethics, whatever. And even so I really couldn't get up the interest to go. But the thing that really got me interested, like when I found out that this thing was happening like in a couple of weeks time was putting together a playlist and setting my Google home Mac speakers in the window. And so that while the Oktoberfest was going on in the neighborhood, maybe I could inflict some music on the holiday makers, you know, I'll be from the, from the outside people. Like I'm, and I'm kind of, I'm not really joking about that. Like not loud music that people would have to deal with and go, uh, why, why, why? I mean, like just loud enough so that people would hear it while they're passing by my building. Like people who are playing the, the part of the idol Boulevardier and I would hope it would add something random and pleasant to the procedures. So, oh, wow. Gosh, what's that music? And then, <laughs> then like a couple, another door later and they don't hear anything. I kind of like that idea. Um, and this playlist, that's going to be the subject of this week's special members only episode that we do, especially for the relay.fm members. Uh, Flo and I do one of these special 15 to 13 minute episodes just for the kind folks who signed up for paid memberships. Uh, and you can join the horde of people that uh, at uh, relay.fm slash material. Okay. But getting back to the regular story, but I, I did, I didn't go to the official Oktoberfest, but I think that I celebrated Oktoberfest that morning kind of inadvertently and unexpectedly. Like while I was out and about that Friday night on fruit food truck, food truck night, I saw some signs that people had tacked up for a moving sale somewhere in the neighborhood. And of course that's how you communicate that you're having a yard sale or whatever, put up a sign put on the phone pole. There's one pole in particular that always gets them. So that's a good reason for me to be, to at least check the news, check, check the bulletin board. Um, and there's, there's a lot of nice things about living in a quaint colonial seaside village and not just getting to well, I didn't meet Kevin Bacon, but you know, I, I got you know, legitimate glimpse at him. Um, but the, one of the other quaint, uh, great things about living here is that many of the homes are his, both historic and expensive. And that means that the yard sales and the estate sales in this neighborhood, they're usually filled with some pretty great stuff. Like as is the free cycling opportunities, I ought to say, just parenthetically, like I've got a, this gorgeous piece of furniture and it's totally blocking my entrance hallway right now because like, uh, look, look, it's, it's one of those benches that go at the foot of the bed 
like you sit on it while you tie your shoes or sit on it while you hold like one shoe in your hand for an awfully long time and ask yourself unhelpful and not useful questions like, what would happen if I just didn't go to work this morning? Would anybody even care? But you know the kind of piece of furniture that, that that I'm talking about. Like I don't really have room for it, which is why it's in not the entrance hallway, the building. It's in my my apartment, but it's in the the entrance hallway to the apartment, and I don't really have room for it. Not even not in the hallway, and not even like in the apartment. But it was like 20 yards away from my door, uh, my my building's front door, with the traditional free sign on it, you know, ballpoint pen on a torn up Amazon box. And it was a way too nice piece of furniture to pass up. Like it's mid-century modern with sort of an arts and crafts design inspiration made out of super, super solid wood that was really, really no fun to carry up a flight of stairs all alone. But I digress. Like I still don't know where it's going. I'm actually (laughs) – one of the candidates is to actually put it on top of my main desk like I do all my writing and research on and turn it to sort of like a hutch sort of thing. I mean, that's how nice a piece of furniture this is. I'm kind of desperate to find any alternative to just putting it back out on the street because that would feel like a failure of inspiration and thrift. Okay, but back to that moving sale. So yeah, uh, they're often really, really good and usually worth my while to get up really early on a Saturday to take first crack at what's out there. So the sign said 8 a.m., uh, okay. I mistimed things a little and I was strolling past the house at 7:45. Now I said that this moving sale was kind of like doing Oktoberfest. Now that's because the homeowners were a very lovely elderly German couple. Okay. Another, I'm going to have to do another diversion here, like cultural stereotyping. It's terrible. And if I could remove this part of my database from my brain, I would, but I can't. So I have to acknowledge that the one that cultural stereotype about Germans being very organized and detailed in everything they do has in my life, my life experience, not necessarily for everybody that has stood the test of time. Okay. Example being that most of these moving sales signs that, uh, that I see around, you know, on the neighborhood, again, they're done with like a magic marker on whatever piece of cardboard or paper was handy. Okay. But this couple sign, the German couple signs, they were done on a laser printer and thick black lettering, the kind that's like really easy to spot and easy to read. And every sign was laminated, laminated. <laughs> okay. So I'm there at 7:45. I did apologize for being early because eh, that's, that's kind of crass behavior, but they were, as I said, German. And as such, they already had their moving sale, like 95% all set up already. And I was welcome to browse. Now they didn't have a whole lot actually. So I didn't get the fun that i really enjoy about uh, garage sales, which is just boxes full of stuff and being able to root through them and flip through stacks of CDs and not really know what I'm going to find. You can't really just, you know, pan the, pan the scene and see everything. So I, I, I was disappointed, I was, uh, disappointed there, but they had a lot of really good stuff. So before 8am had passed, I had already bought a cool old lamp that looks kind of like a Olympic torch made out of wood and a freestanding upright metal locker, which I desperately need because I don't have enough storage. Uh, and I also don't have enough room in my entrance hallway now for a second piece of big furniture that I haven't actually put where it needs to go yet. Um, I should do something about that probably very, very soon. Like the only advantage of having all this furniture cluttering up my entranceway is that like if the building is besieged by zombies or, you know, creditors, I've, I've already got the front door like 80% barricaded. Okay. There's just 
I, have to, I just have to kind of dot the I to be absolutely uh, unassaultable. Okay, but so uh, got home with my stuff. Uh, there was a maker's sticker on the bottom of the lamp. Okay, and I looked it up when I got it home. And the the lamp, it, I didn't know much about it. It just looked nice. It had these really, it has these really clean geometric shapes. So it could have been designed any time in the past century by any company with good taste. And I knew had a it had had a bit of age to it, but again, I just bought it because it was a cool lamp. And because I'm buying lamps <laughs> in, in the past couple months, my place I realized can use some more lighting here and there. And, and it was just ten bucks. Great, beautiful, perfect. Well, so I did some Google searching, and I learned that my new lamp was made actually really in the 1920s or the 1930s. It's French, and it's a minor big deal. Um, I discovered the exact same lamp, not something like it, but something same maker, same stamp, looked 100% the exact one, found it online in two different fancy decorator gallery websites. Um, I could buy it as a, a pair of them for $5,900. Uh, I found a single one in a European store for 1300 euro. That's again, no joke. I'm not, you think I'm setting you up for something, but no, no joke. I'm talking the exact same lamp. It was really the exact same lamp. Now I felt validated and I felt relieved because friends shortly after I moved into this neighborhood some years ago, I visited a yard sale in the same basic vicinity as this moving sale. And I still vividly remember coming across a Cuisinart food processor for just 40 bucks with all of the accessories, 40 bucks. And but I, the thing is, I decided to think about it because I just moved, and oh my god, the, the the amount of money you the amount of times you have to write checks for a lot of money when you move, it's like, do I have forty? Would I would I feel better about myself knowing that I hadn't just spent forty dollars I hadn't intended on spending on? I decided to take a little walk, and of course, by the time I came back, less than an hour later, it was gone, and this had been like my white whale ever since. I've been kicking myself because now I kind of want a, a food processor. And that would have been like exactly what I'm looking for, like a really nice one, really cheap. And so this lamp, okay, it made up for that experience. But again, I'm, and again, totally serious about this, uh, but there is a reality check involved. Uh, of course, there are those $5,900 for two, $1,300 for one, or 1300 euro for one, those are fancy gallery prices. Okay, they're not like retail. Then. Also, the fact that I, I was found, I found them for sale on those galleries meant that those are just asking prices, and it's not like they offer them for sale and then someone said, "Oh my God, only thirteen hundred euro." They probably said that in a European accent, but I digress. Like, oh my, they're foolish; they don't know what they have. And but yeah, so that's probably that's probably overpriced for a couple of different reasons. Uh, and also, the lamps that were on those sites, those ones are completely original. So I got to see what mine what might have looked like when it was brand new like a, a 90 years ago or something like mine had had its socket replaced, obviously. Uh, and all, actually more obvious than that, it was missing, uh, this very pretty, like opaline, like iridescent glass tulip shaped shade that was supposed to be on the top of it. Um, I can find a replacement for I've, I found replacements for those on, on, on Amazon for like $18, not, not the originals, but good enough. Uh, and also, Obviously, this was this has been kicking around for a hundred years. So if I were trying to sell it for as much money as I could, step one would be to take it all apart and really give it a good cleaning, try to buff out some of the scratches in the metal, try to do something about like the tiny, 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 tiny insect holes in part of the wood. So yeah, it's not exactly perfect, uh, perfect experience. Um, if I go to I went to eBay and a search there uh, turned up a few similar lamps 
for about 500 bucks, which seems more realistic. There was nothing that was on. Of course, the, the gold standard for this kind of research is look for, do a search, check the box made so, sold items so that you know, here is what someone actually paid for this. Could, no luck there. But yeah, so I, I would assume a couple hundred bucks maybe. Um, but that doesn't matter to me. Like the real win is that it's a cool lamp with some style and some age to it. I like things with age. I like things that are kind of worn in a little bit that have that that are not broken down, but they tell a little bit of its story. Um, there's, I would never refinish something like this to make it look perfect. I just like, I want it to be, I want it to be safe to use. I want it to look nice, look like it hadn't been just taken out of a rubbish bin or something like that. But I like to, uh, I'm showing some age myself. Okay. A lot of age myself. So maybe I'm a little bit sympathetic to the suffering of this lamp. Um, the only difference like <laughs> the, that this knowledge of that, this is actually kind of valuable maybe has made is that like, now I know that like, if the new vicar comes by for tea, uh, or I've got someone in to fix the AC and this person comments on that lamp, I can just toss off its provenance as though like everything in the house is an important antique up to and including my Boba Fett cold cast resin bust. Uh, oh, and there, and there's a, and there's a postscript though. Uh, after the revelation about the lamp, like I'm back in, again, I completed all these, these purchases at eight. I was home back by eight fifteen, eight twenty, and now it's nine o'clock. And at that point, after I'd seen done this research, I thought, you know what? Just spontaneously, I don't know why this is going through my head. Maybe it'd be fun to, you know, just mosey on back to that moving sale, you know, just in case I'd left before they f- finished putting out like a comic book with the first exper- appearance of Spider-Man, you know, that kind of thing. And I actually scored again. Like they didn't have they didn't have the Spider-Man comic, but. Uh, something that was maybe the polar opposite of an antique French lamp, a nearly new Wacom pro quality drawing tablet, like large size, complete with the stylus and the cables and everything, everything except for the box, and the manuals, no problem. I could, I, I can just like, I could just download the, the drivers I needed from the site and work perfectly. Uh, as soon as I download the drivers, just 40 bucks. And I was absolutely over the moon about that. Like I have lots and lots of fun editing photos and Photoshop and whatever, uh, if you go to my Instagram, uh, I mean, I'm not going on Instagram. You see that again, you'll, you'll see the, my, my, the, the, the residue of my fun that I post there. I've always wanted a Wacom tablet, uh, but I couldn't justify 350 bucks for a really nice one like this one, but for 40 bucks, absolutely. That is that, the same thing as that $40 food processor. I don't have $200 worth of need for a real Cuisinart food processor, 40 bucks. Yes. I'd love to play with it. I'd love to like make pie crust with it. Every time you get into that part of the, the this, of a recipe that it says, <laughs> either spend 90 minutes finally chopping these, these, these herbs and vegetables, or just run through the food processor. I would take it off the shelf and say, thank you, $40. Uh, but no, that is, it, it, it is, it is an adventure enhancer, uh, that I get to have at a pretty bargain price. Now getting back uh, before we move on, like, uh, we do have to move on. Um, I mean, I'm going to have one more challenge this weekend regarding, Again, this is the this is the October f- festivities in the neighborhood. Um, there is a big, big, big Halloween parade. Okay, on Saturday, literally outside my window. And once again, I use the word literally, literally. Like people come from all around to see it. Okay, not just people who are kind of bored. I mean, this is if if you got kids and you want to like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> infuse them with the spirit of Halloween without having to go to 
spirit Halloween stores, uh, uh, this is a good place to go because it's it's big. It's a whole whoop de doo. And I'm not really totally into it. I'm like, I'm, right now on Thursday morning, I'm not really feeling it. But I, I know that I ought to go and I will go. You know, there, there are lots and lots of good pictures to take. And it counts as going outside and literally outside my window. Come on, man. And also some of the paraders, they might be throwing free candy. And I bet, like, I'm not as fast as I used to be, but I bet I'm faster than at least some of the children that those fun size Snickers are actually intended for. So I don't know. I mean, I get, at minimum, I'm at least going to set a chair by the window and, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald, some photos from up there. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> let's get on with what we're talking about this week, our Google news. So Google did an Ask Me Anything on Reddit recently to celebrate the release of Android 14. So did they, were they asked anything? Yeah, they're asked pretty much everything. They answered very little though. Uh, on the good news front, the uh, there is a new ruling after the previous ruling in the long, long, long standing lawsuit between Sonos and Google over a speaker patent. Uh, and maybe some more, if we have time, we're going to see, I, I never know how to plan out. I, I, I write out uh, the show docs differently when I'm doing a solo. It's hard to figure out how long these things are going to take to talk through when Flo's not here, when I don't have a conversation. So we've got a couple other things. We'll see what your patience and mine is. And once again, I'm not, I'm not going to short shrift you. I'm going to give you the full episode as good as any episode could possibly be without Florence Ion in it. That's a, that's a, there's a ceiling, but I hope there's going to be a high ceiling. Nonetheless, again, pumpkin pancakes made with real pumpkin. Also, they make this like sort of cinnamon butter and a big scoop of cinnamon butter on the top of it. That's waiting for me like a hundred yards, 200 yards up the street. So there will be some moving along happening. And speaking of moving along, we'll be right back after this message. This episode of material is brought to you by electric. When leading your small business, it's not all glamor. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours and onboarding an employee, which you're well equipped to deal with. I'm not, no accusations there, but maybe you don't have the time. Well, the team over at Electric knows that small businesses, maybe just like yours, face these challenges. So that's why they're on hand to help with time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. And employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications, while simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance. And proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage, even for non-technical users. And if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, well, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. And here's the famous part where there's a block for personal experience, which I always call out. Yeah, they, they want to talk about the importance of delegating in, in, in order to focus. Yeah, oh my God, this is something that I keep learning and relearning and relearning all the time. Um I mean, uh, especially as I'm a, co I'm a corporation of one, you know, 
I, I, I'm the accounting department of, uh, of my writing, my, my content creation farm. I'm the content creator. I'm the system administrator. I am, <laughs> I, I, I do all the paperwork, uh, and it stinks because you know, you feel like you don't have enough time for this part of the job that you really, I really, really enjoy, which is to write and to create. And also there are things that I not only don't want to do, I also stink at it because, oh my God, when there, when there's. Um, even when there's like an invoice that that will benefit me if i just fill out this this company has this company has a process for filing invoices and a form and someone has to be called and someone who has to be like uh, emailed and cc'd and if i just complete all these steps i get paid i get money money will come come money i like money i need money that's why they call it money but it's like i hate doing this and it gets put off and it gets put off so the ability to take these jobs that you don't like and are not good at, and you don't have enough time to do the good stuff anyway, delegate. Okay. When they're, they're, I, I, I could even come up with a simpler explanation. Like I don't, I don't have a driveway <laughs> anymore because I live in an apartment building now, but when I had a driveway, I'm in new England. You know what? I grew up as the only boy in a family of girls. Okay. And so it was my dad and I shoveling the, uh, on a school day, sh- up at 6 a.m. shoveling the driveway. And sometimes after we after I'm done helping dad shovel the, shovel the driveway, you know, pointing to like the lovely elderly elderly lady up the street and saying, "Now you got to now you should uh, now you should uh, uh, shovel Mrs. Mrs. Mandelessi's drive because she's, you know, she can't do it herself." <sighs> and so when I had a house and I had my own driveway, a really long driveway, I I tried to do the, do the tough things and you know what? I'm going to draw, I'm going to shovel this whole driveway myself. And that got old so fast. And when I realized that there are kids in the neighborhood whose parents like have like snow machines <laughs> and for like 20 bucks, they will take that snow machine and shovel your whole driveway in less than 15 minutes. I was so happy to simply delegate that responsibility. My life became so much better as soon as I learned to do that. And believe me, a service like electric, if they can take all of the IT stuff off of your hands and make sure that you don't have to do it. <laughs> That's sometimes I like the saying, yes, I performed all these jobs myself. I personally wrote the check and actually now you don't even have to write a check. You just have to sign up for something. Okay. Now back to, back to our regularly uh, pre-written ad copy. For material listeners, electric is offering a free pair of beats solo three headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash material. That's electric.ai slash material. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Material Podcast and all of Relay.fm. So you're probably familiar every single time that we talk about uh, a quarterly earnings call from Google or any other company, I always mention that... Uh, the most fun is always the Q and a, uh, from analysts at the very, very end, because it's one of the very few times that someone, the level of a CEO of a tech company is forced to simply react spontaneously to questions that they didn't get in advance. And they're forced by law to be truthful and honest about it. Uh, you, you just don't see that anymore. Uh, and ask me anything on Reddit. It's not even close to being the same thing, but it is, you never know. And 
So Google did a, an ask me anything to sort of celebrate the official release of Android 14. Uh, the two participants from Google were Dave Burke, who's Google's vice president of engineering, and Dieter Bohn, who's, you know, that I know that name as formerly like editor in chief of The Verge and the Wall and writer for The Wall Street Journal. Now he's director of product operations for Google's platform and ecosystems. So they got about 500 questions and comments. Uh, by my reckoning, they answered about nine of them. If you're, oh, if you're not familiar with the Reddit, ask me anything. It literally is, uh, it, uh, it, no, not, I've used the word literally correctly twice. Uh, so I'm going to make sure that I don't waste it a third time. It is um, almost exactly ask me anything where uh, they announce, hey, by the way, at 1 p.m., I'm so-and-so is going to be doing an AMA here on Reddit. And re reply to this thread with any questions you want this person to answer. And at that point in time, the person's going to log in and read through the questions and answer the ones they want to answer. So that's why 500 questions or comments, they get to ch they chose nine. It lasts a certain amount of time. So it's not as though like they're going to sit there and go through 500 questions. But okay, but it's still, uh, I don't know, statistically interesting. Uh, it's, it's still things that, uh, and I'm sure that they had like two or three like marketing people by their elbow saying, you are not going to answer that. Okay. Answer that. Okay. You're not going to say that you are going to move that cursor back to the left until I'm this frowny face of mine isn't, is, is, is a smiley face. Um, so yeah, uh, now Festivus came early this year because most of those 500 questions or comments were the airing of the grievances. I don't, I, I, I'm hoping that they're going to answer things that are questions that might be challenging to them, but no one is going to, they're not going to spend any time helping you to fix, <laughs> helping you to fix Bluetooth on your device. And if your comment is how come every pixel phone since the pixel three has sucked and when you're going to stop making phones that suck and just the sucking, just talk about how much you guys suck. Again, unlikely that that's going to float to the very, very top of their queue. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we it makes me think about uh, like WGBH, like uh, NPR in Boston. Like uh, my show has the mayor, the governor of Boston, mayor of Boston, or the governor of Massachusetts on pretty regularly. And they open up the phone lines and they do take some of the tougher questions from callers. Uh, so it's not as though this it's not impossible to handle this, particularly if you get to read these questions and take a pause to think. Uh, before you before you think thoughtfully so yeah they didn't answer any of the tough ones but eh, some interesting stuff um i've actually cut and pasted all of them here i'm not going to go through every single one of them uh but uh one was the first one for was for dieter again formerly of the verge like from listening to your input in the verge cast for years and now seeing the google rcs campaigns like the campaigns to get uh, RCS uh, messaging on the, on the iPhone. I assume that your passionate thoughts on messaging had a big influence on that. How has your work changed since joining the Big G, and what degree has your years of reporting been useful? This and this is I, I'm leading off with this because this is where oh boy, I, this is a really interesting question because it's kind of been on my mind. Um, I've, I've been doing tech journalism since this was my my second full time job. Okay, so I've been doing this for decades at this point, and I've seen a lot of my friends and and colleagues suddenly, <laughs> suddenly you start working for Apple, suddenly start working for Microsoft or or Google or whatever, and it always kind of makes me think like, okay, so you were on this side, my side of the fence, now you're on the other side of the fence. 
what's like, how is your, how does one inform the other? And Dieter, he parried it off. He's basically parroting the Google's talking points about RCS. Um, and go, oh, it makes everybody's experience better. I, I'm a huge believer that technology should bring people together, not divide them. So, okay, that's disappointing. Uh, but a substantive question came up later, uh, which is what's the status of Google's Find My Network? A big, cool announcement where Google announced that we're going to have, uh, just like Apple has built-in AirTag tracking, of course, on its, on every single phone, uh, Google is, wants to put it that into all of the, every phone that runs Android and also be able to include tracking AirTags. That's a, not just a convenience feature, that's a personal security feature because AirTags, you do a Google search for AirTag and most of the headlines that come up are stalking <laughs> related or criminal related. So that's no good. Um, so, and we haven't heard much about it. Uh, Dave said, uh, we're working with a bunch of tag vendors, headphone makers, e-buy manufacturers, and more to integrate with Google's find my network. They, he basically said that it's, they're working really hard with Apple. They just finished, uh, the, 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 the specification for unwanted tracker alerts. Um, they are going to have, uh, the unwanted tracker specification implemented and deployed across all 3 billion plus Android devices by the end of this year. Uh, they are, however, so the, 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 the identification of unwanted trackers, uh, I assume, including unwanted air tags is going to be out by the end of the year. Rolling out the find my device network uh, is going to be on hold until Apple has implemented those protections for iOS users too. So as soon as Apple implements the standard, they'll implement that standard soon, hopefully soon, he says. Um, and another example of classic, classic pairing off, uh, someone asked without getting into future roadmaps, can you tell us more about how Android 14 will improve the Android ecosystem and how Android is moving just beyond the phone. And so, uh, the bit, again, mostly PR talk about, Hey, look, we're making all these changes for Android on, on large screens and wow. And the new, the, my favorite non-phone features launching this year is the ability to transfer a Wear OS watch between phones without having a hard reset. It's yeah, uh, it's too bad. Um, mostly again, talking about PR stuff about products have come out with it's, that would have been a good opportunity to talk about, uh, future plans. Like no, no Apple is the Apple is the king of, we do not comment on unannounced products, but there are ways to it's, let me tell you after years and years and years of talking to, uh, company people who are speaking on the record at every level up to and including CEO level there are you it's it's like it's like a party game you know where and pick any one of those games where you're trying to get people to guess uh, a phrase or a word but there's a list of things that you can't use. Like you, you're trying to get them to say the word Dunkin Donuts but you can't say breakfast you can't say pastry you can't say dry or bland. <laughs> and so there are ways that like, if, if, I, if you want somebody to tell you something of substance, you have to phrase it in such a way that it excludes everything that <laughs> they can't talk about. Like, but you can ask a broad enough question that they, you can feel, you can see like the shackles drop off their wrists and they're excited. Oh, I can, I can talk about the basic direction of the specific technology that we've announced, even though I know that you want me to talk about, <laughs> you and I both want to talk about this new piece of hardware that's been rumored and is absolutely going to be released in two months. I can't talk about that, but I can talk about it obliquely because you asked me about this. Ding, 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 ding. You win. So 
oh well so that that's why if, if i didn't participate in this uh, ask me anything but i probably would have snuck a few things like that in there uh let's see uh someone asking about uh, the marriage between android and google hardware uh to uh, continue to contend against ecosystems like Apple and asking about how Android uh, collaborates with Pixel and Nest hardware teams. Uh, just a couple of quick hits. They're saying, oh, well, tactically, as a team, we plan one or two years in advance. We have longer horizon efforts where we plan even further in the future and to make strides towards our vision. Let's see. Um, good bit about uh, a feature that I was only a little bit aware of on Android 14. Someone asked about lossless USB audio. Um, even on the Apple ecosystem, it's a little bit weird because it's technically supported by the operating system. And yet you'll find that, why, hi, what, geez, how come I'm not getting lossless audio through this app or through this service? And it's turns out, and it's because a certain app or service isn't using, isn't using those services correctly, or rather isn't using those lossless audio features correctly. So you have to have the right software installed. You have to have the right hardware, the right earphones, the right DAC, uh, digital audio, the audio, audio conver uh, converter. Um, so basically the answer was basically what it does is, uh, is ensure quote bit perfect audio quote. And that does that by having audio totally bypassing Android's audio mixer or any processing effects. Uh, and so they've added OS support. So the next step is for support from device makers and app developers. Uh, Pixel 8 and other OEMs are expected to support this mode in their hardware abstraction layer. They're talking about the, uh, the device manufacturers. Uh, their uh, hardware abstraction layer implementations in later releases, app developers will need to adopt the new API for lossless audio to take advantage of. And this this kind of thing can happen soon enough. And they also need to get uh, uh, get their get get moving on spatial audio. Again, it's a feature that headphone and uh, an audio company say that hey, this is supported on this hardware, and the hardware and the phone company says that hey, our phone does this, and hey, our new operating system supports this as well. It's a keynote feature, but then it doesn't work, and you don't know where the disconnect is, and and will turn out that oh, well, only if you have this Apple hardware running this version of the Apple operating system, running Apple music, and you're listening to it on Apple earphones, then maybe you'll get it. It's just way, way too confusing. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because some of these, again, I, I did copy. There are only nine that are substantively uh, answered, so uh, uh, I could easily uh, paste in all of them. Uh, someone asked a question about satellite SOS slash SMS. This was something that was announced uh, as something that that they're putting into uh, Android, putting into all devices uh, with partnership with Qualcomm uh, and using uh, Garmin's uh, satellite emergency uh, notification system as their as their satellite network. Uh, quote: We're working on it. The, uh, in fact, you can see the new telephony satellite interface in Android 14 source code. More to come on the satellite eSOS feature soon. So yeah, there. So there. <laughs> part of, a lot of the stories that we talk about. Uh, here on the podcast are about APK teardowns where people uh, a new beta or new developer uh, code is released and they basically and uh, engineers or journalists tear it down to look for references to something that doesn't seem familiar because that will hint at uh, at future features uh, one of the things I hope that we'll be talking to uh, talking with uh, about with flow next week is it looks like that augmented reality glasses thing that seemed to be dead a few months ago they're still working on it because it's being referenced in brand new live code that's being released 
But so even uh, Google themselves, even Dave is saying, hey, yeah, if, as proof that we haven't forgotten all about this, we have code actually deployed that doesn't actually do anything yet. Um, someone's asked what a softball feature, but not a softball question, but not necessarily a bad question. What's your favorite new feature that debuted in Android 14? That's good because it's hard to really zero in on anything. Android 14 isn't, uh, boy, no bells and whistles, no dogs or ponies to roll out. It's just, yeah. Um, uh, Dieter said for me, it's a toss up between ultra, ultra HDR support and the improved system share sheets. Yeah. HDR is not something is kind of like spatial audio where it's something that's easy to sort of bang the drum about of, wow, here's obviously something cool that you'll be able to do to enter, uh, enjoy, your, enjoy all of your media in a much better way. I believe you. Uh, I've seen demos of it. I've heard it described. It is, does seem very attractive. How the hell do I actually enjoy ultra HDR content on my devices? Well, you need uh, the content with this standard and you need to upgrade to this and your display has to have X, Y, and Z. Okay. So it's nice to have ultra HDR support uh, in Android 14, not something that you would have known because it's not printed on the side of the box or anything. And also, yeah, system share sheets. It's working a little bit better, I think in 14 than it did before. And I should point out that sh uh, the way that Android handles sharing uh, data from one uh, app to another through share sheets, that was one of the things that years ago got me to switch from, uh, from the iPhone to Android because it's, it's they they've come closer to each other in parity, but I still think that Android handles it a little, just a little tiny bit better. Uh, Dave said, I think my favorite f feature is the performance and improvements in Android 14. And here he gets very technical about, uh, again, improved freezing of cached processes. We queue broadcasts and we collapse some repeating ones. So background apps use 50% less CPU in Android 14. And because of that, we can increase the number of cached processes relating to 30% reduction in cold starts, which translates to better, more consistent performance and improved battery life. So nice. He also mentioned that he made uh, a series of, they made a series of optimization uh, that reduces code size by 9%. Uh, like dead code and elimination, collapse return statements, etc. He said, quoting exactly what he said, as if he understands every detail of what that means. But but comes down to he's saying here, an average phone can have 500 megabytes to one gigabyte of optimized code. So this translates to a 50 to 100 megabytes in savings, which doesn't seem like much. But I'm the person who bought like the top of the line Pixel with as much storage as possible. There are people who are buying the entry level stuff. Uh, on a cheaper phone who maybe again on a budget phone, maybe they even only have like 64 megabytes or 128 megabytes, uh, sorry, <laughs> megabytes. Uh, if they only have like half a gigabyte, uh, I'm going to let that leave in. Cause again, I'm, I'm focused on the, I'm focused on pumpkin pancakes when I should be focused on what I'm saying. Yeah, not, not everybody has a 512 gigabytes of storage on their phone. Some people have 64 gigs or 128 gigs, like whatever was the cheapest one, that's what they got. And for that, having 100 megabytes free, that's a big deal. And that's a basic feature of Android 14, not just uh, something that you get with a Pixel phone. Uh, a question about complimenting them on the Easter egg in uh, Android 14. Who makes the Easter eggs? And in your opinions, which one's your favorite over the years? Uh, Dieter said, actually use that opportunity to credit some people. Uh, Easter eggs were designed and implemented by Dan Sandler on our system UI team. One of our longest standing and top engineers work on Android. Uh, his work started with Android 3.0 Honeycomb as a way of testing and exploring new features in the operating system or APIs. Uh, this year's Easter egg was the first one implemented in Jetpack Compose. <laughs> 
P.S. I love you, Android, but the Palm OS taxi remains undefeated. <laughs> yeah. People, people have their favorite Easter eggs. And yeah, the, my, my favorite, possibly because it was so scandalous, was the uh, flight simulator Easter egg in Microsoft Excel that started off as this cute little, hey, if you hit whatever, whatever, you get like a low poly sort of flight simulator. Uh, but <laughs> because the Excel team apparently was not being supervised on a very granular level, they kept adding with every new feature, every new version of Excel, they kept adding and adding and adding features to this Easter egg, making it into a very credible and competitive flight simulator. And they only, it, they only got discovered when someone did an audit and realized just how much <laughs> this was contributing to the bloat of Microsoft Excel. <laughs> And that's when they got caught and that's when the fun ended. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's about, that's enough to talk about the AMA. Um, so what I had to think about to myself, like what would I have wanted them to answer if I had participated in this, uh, better yet, if I had them on a stage where they couldn't just simply skip over one of them, what would I have wanted them to answer? Well, one user had a question that was kind of similar, but actually uh, just talked about, it was sort of on my top one. I just, uh, but it's not quite what I would have asked. I would have wanted them to just talk broadly about how the difference in Android's philosophy seems to have done nearly a 180 since Android was first launched all those years ago. Like it started as like uh, part of an industry foundation, like the Open Handset Alliance, I think it was called as a way of empowering new hardware and new ideas that look, we're going to give, we're, we're going to, we're going to work with handset manufacturers so that when they make a handset, they'll have a great operating system, but it doesn't matter like what handset it runs on. It doesn't matter, uh, what the fine details of this Android operating system are. We're going to give them the core and they'll be, they'll build on top of it. And, but in recent years, like Google has just been pushing it harder and harder and harder. Android has been pushing harder into the, definition of no it's it's not generic android it's the google operating system even when it's on samsung even when it's on other manufacturers and it's not on a pixel it's the google operating system and google keeps trying to lock all manufacturers into agreements that ensure a kind of uniformity from device to device and in most ways that's a good thing because like motorola used to kind of screw up <laughs> android samsung made a lot of big improvements basically because they were able to iterate on Android way faster than Google was, at least at that time. But a lot of their operating, a lot of their user interface tweaks, some people are going to love them, but I just think that they're unnecessary. One of the things that drew me to Nexus and then Pixel devices were that it was a very, very clean uh, and very, very beautiful implementation of Android. It wasn't not a whole lot of, you know, tinsel and, you know, glitter uh, spoiled uh, on top of it. But still, yeah, it's uh, the current state of affairs kind of implies that Google doesn't want handsets to evolve any faster than Google can figure out how to profit from them. That's perfectly reasonable. That's perfectly natural. But that certainly isn't what Android was when uh, when it started off. And I think that's, that's a little bit sad. I'd also ask them about like what kind of pressure, if any, they feel whenever they they're doing like an, one of these annual, like full integer updates from 13 to 14, like, do they feel any pressure to make it feel significant to the user? Cause Android 14 felt like mostly under the hood improvements, a lot of stuff that I really, really liked, but it's not as though it's not like a, an iOS 
an iPhone OS update where it feels almost like you have a brand new phone. Um, now maybe they do feel a lot less pressure because even with the pixel phones, they don't say that we are only going to get one major update a year. It's like every month or two, you're going to, we're going to add new features to it. Even with Android proper, they have the ability to keep introducing new features and updates over the course of the year, because so much of Android is actually being delivered through the Google play store. So if, uh, if, five months roll around and Google wants to add a, a wonderful new feature to the camera app. They can just update the camera app. Whereas Apple, they, they can't do that unless they update the entire operating system, but still uh, there's a bit of fun, extra fun that's involved when it seems like a special day when you update, when you update to a full integer higher than what it was before. And of course you weren't previously, you weren't aware if you're running 13.1.8.8. 7.84.1.2 or whatever. But yeah, it feels, it feels like the first day of school. It feels like a new year's day or whatever. Maybe it's, it's also less significant though on Android, because really, if you've got a pixel, you're getting it on a certain day, you can celebrate that day, any other phone. And uh, you hope that you're going to get it in the next two or three months. And if you have an older phone not made by Google, maybe you're not going to get it at all. So maybe it doesn't feel quite so special. Um, and I'd also like, is there any tension between making, there's so many cool features that wind up in the pixel versus a cool feature that they just decide to make every Android flagship phone better with this new feature, as opposed to just the one that's made by Google. And some of them, I'm sure that you need special hardware, like the, like the tensor AI chip, but you got to wonder if at some point there's a new feature that's proposed or maybe even developed for the general Android release. But then like the pixel team gets wind of it and say, Ooh, we'd like that for ourselves exclusively to help us sell more hardware. And so boom, <laughs> it gets yanked out of the general release. Um, also, you don't hear much about Android One these days. I know it's still a thing. This was like a five, was it six years ago? That Sundar Pichai was talking about. Uh, I think the, the the theme of the keynote that year at uh, Google I/O was reaching the next billion users, and part of that was, hey, there are a lot of people who aren't using smartphones because economically they can't afford high performance phones. And or uh, the uh, cell phone service in the region where they live doesn't provide broadband, doesn't or doesn't even provide reliable or fast mobile internet service. So we're going to have this, this this offshoot of Android code called Android One, where it's designed so that it will run on really really cheap hardware that doesn't have a whole lot of storage, doesn't have a whole lot of system memory, doesn't have a whole lot of system speed, and it will run great on uh, uh, on networks that aren't very very fast or that are or that are very very expensive to use. Um, actually, I think I, I don't know if I have it on, uh, on my current phone on the, my, on my previous phone, I definitely had the Google one gallery photo gallery app because it was a very, very simple streamlined app that just simply said, here are the, here are the image files on your device, <laughs> scroll through them and look at them and do stuff with them. Whereas like all the other image, even Google photos, it sometimes it's way more complicated than it needs to be. So I was, I would like to ask like where, where the development is on that. Cause you don't see them talk about it. We're going to take another break, I think, and then we'll come back. we got a couple other stories to talk about uh, before I get my pancakes, so stick around. Two final stories, Sensation Seekers, and they have things in common. I'm, going to sp I'm not going to leave it for you to figure it out. They both have to do with new features coming to you as a Google user, and those features are related to legal actions. 
I know I said legal actions. Please don't skip ahead. Please don't skip to the next podcast. I know that Office Ladies is probably a good one. It usually is, but I wasn't. I didn't say that to, you know, get you to skip ahead. So, you know, bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. So first, Google has scored a major win against Sonos. Like, like I don't watch a whole lot of reality TV. That's that's Flo's thing. So I don't know which two of the Real Housewives or wherever uh, would do the best job of representing in human form, the fighting between Google and Sonos, that wireless speaker maker, uh, that lawsuit is entering its third season or year or whatever. Um, Sonos, they sued Google Google for infringements of uh, Sonos patents on this breathtaking and revolutionary idea known as sending music wirelessly to more than one speaker at a time. I know, mind blower. Uh, yes, I'm making fun of the whole thing about Sonos. Well, they got their noses out of joint <laughs> about uh, speaker groups and how they were implemented by uh, Google and uh, Google Nest. You know, the ability to say, oh, well, I turn on, send this to all the speakers in the house. Uh, I'll send this just to the, all the speakers that are in the living room, whatever. Uh, according to testimony in the original court case, like Sony, uh, Sonos, they took a lot of meetings with Google about uh, doing business together and doing that long dance of, you know, will they or won't they? Sonos showed Google how their multi-room tech works uh, and uh, they decided, hey, we recognize a lot of our stuff and your new stuff. What gives? Anyway, uh, enough rosé wine got figuratively thrown around the room. I don't know if the Real Housewives still do that or if that was just one of those society tropes but anyway uh, enough there was enough fighting that uh, last year google took the precautionary step of removing some of uh, their nest speakers multi-room features last year so like if you had uh, it it affected me because i used to have like one set for the living room one set for the bedroom and then one set that was called everything so no matter where i was in the house like when i'm, when I'm rushing around the house trying to get out the door <laughs> Uh, I could have all my my new all my stuff going from every, no matter where I was the kitchen bedroom bathroom whatever and suddenly I couldn't have uh, a speaker in more than one group you know so uh, that stunk and they just turned that feature off uh, so but the Google they must have smelled that the trial was going badly for them uh, <laughs> because uh, you know not only did they remove those features but the, again they had they were sort of prescient because a jury ruled in favor of Sonos. Uh, back in May. Uh, but then just last week, here's the news part, a U.S. district judge threw out that jury verdict, uh, threw out the $32.5 million judgment against Google, and he also threw out two of Sonos's patents <laughs> that, 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 that the, all their cases were hinging on. Uh, so basically means that not only is Google completely off the hook, uh, but also every speaker company that wants to do multi like multi grouping, they're now off the hook too because their Sonos's patents are completely invalid. I mean, it wasn't just a ruling against them. The judge basically bonked Sonos in the head for being, well, I think the legal term is mischievous in how they filed their suit. Um, Sonos's patent that they were filing their suit about was issued in 2019, uh, which is. Uh, uh, so I'm sorry, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, the patent that was in question was, was issued in 2019 with all the technology that, uh, that Sonos says that, uh, that, uh, that Google like basically stole from them. However, 
you know, those of us who are more than four years old can remember that, hey, wait a minute, but Google had those features before 2019. So they couldn't really cite that 2019 patent as a basis for a patent infringement. So what they did was they went and attached all of that technology to a previous provisional patent that Sonos got in 2006. Now, this is a provisional patent. This is one of those super, super speculative patents where it like you have an idea and you want to protect it in case you want to do something with it. Like I could march in and say, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was like, I've got this idea for a magic doorknob and like you stick it on a wall uh, and then you turn the knob and it will open a door to any place in the planet you want to go. I call it the magic go anywhere doorknob and you can get a provisional patent for it because this and say, Oh, well, gosh, this was my idea all along. Uh, and that's a very, very different from a patent for something you've actually developed and is ac- actually planned to turn into a piece of piece of product. Uh, so basically what Sonos did here was they claimed that all of the real work that they did for the real Sonos <laughs> multi-room features, uh, no, 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 that wasn't the 2019 patent. That was actually still has to do with the 2006 patent, which is way before Google <laughs> put out their, their multi-room speakers. Uh, and yeah, that we're just that's just trying to bamboozle the judge, trying trying to bamboozle the, the courtroom because you know everybody had already been working on it and making stuff with it for years and years and years. So that was like a desperation play. Um, Google they put their their own system in practice according to the, according to the judge in 2015, and they actually showed all this stuff to Sonos in 2014, which is five years before Sonos filed their 2019 patent application. So yeah. Anyway, these shenanigans uh, they please the judge about as much as when you ask your kid, hey, did you brush your teeth? Like right before the, he goes to bed and he says, yes, I brushed my teeth. And you learn that, oh, you thought I meant, have you brushed your teeth anytime in the past two weeks? I actually meant, did you just brush your teeth? Now, I think you know that. Guess what? You don't get to see Laverne and Shirley uh, stay up uh, late on Tuesday night. That is a really, really old and bad reference. Whatever it is that you can take away from a child who still needs to be asked if they brush their teeth at night, that would make them really feel the pain. Please insert that uh, by uh, by comparison. So yeah, the, the judge was pretty honked off about this. <laughs> Here's a a quote from the judge in the ruling. It is wrong that our patent system was used in this way. With its constitutional underpinnings, this system is intended to promote and protect innovation. Here, by contrast, it was used to punish an innovator and to enrich a pretender by delay and sleight of hand. It has taken a full trial to learn this sad fact, but at long last, a measure of justice is done. And that was just one of the quotes from this judgment. It was such a thorough spanking from the bench that Google did a, a posted a blog post about it. And all they had to do was quote the judge, pretty much. They didn't, they didn't have to engage in any cackling or nee 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 or they just, they, they could take the high road because the judge already said it all for them. Uh, but the good news for us, the humble consumer, is that Google immediately started restoring features to Nest and uh, Google speakers that had, again, been removed out of caution. So now, once again, uh, by the time you listen to this, if you go to the Google Home app, you can now put your spe- wireless speakers in more than one group. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen, brethren. Okay, but we have another another possibly legal action-based new features we're getting. And this has to do with, of all things, the, the address box in Google's Chrome browser. Um, so t- uh, on Wednesday, uh, yesterday, 
what Google announced via a post on the keyword blog, they're adding five brand new features to the Google Chrome address bar, a part of Chrome, Chrome that you don't even think of having features as, but they add, they add some pretty cool things, five new features. And the central theme of these features seems to be to help you go straight to the web page you want instead of maybe you taking a brief detour through Google search if it isn't necessary. Um, the first two on the list on the keyword blog, they're very simple and very nifty. They help Chrome to figure out the address you meant to type really. Um, so like we're used to auto completion of web addresses. You start typing and it starts auto populating a pop-up menu with things that it, that you might be trying to type, but it only works if you start typing the first letters of the, the address. However, now it's going to work if what you start typing matches any previous search that you've done. So like if some point you typed the, the phrase total bastards into Chrome's address bar, and then, you know, that's not a URL. So it takes you to Google search and then you click the link off of Google search, uh, to the page that you, you hope that total bastards would send you to. Now you can just type T O T and then it'll auto complete to the web address for Ticketmaster. Assuming that was the that was the, the site that you that you went to off of that Google search below those many days months ago, um, it's also going to auto correct typos for you. So uh, if you type in Instagram, it will take you to Instagram instead of taking you to a Google search for Instagram. And the third one lets you tell the address bar to look for a bookmark within a specific folder of bookmarks that you've already set up. Uh, for example, all of my bookmarks for tech stories uh, this month, they're in a subfolder called October NR. NR stands for News Radar. That's like my shorthand for, I don't know if I'm going to write about this or talk about this, but this is on my, this story is on my radar and I want to follow it. Uh, so now if I want to, uh, I can type, uh, if I type Sonos, it will... Uh, auto-populate that pop-up with bookmarks that have Sonos in it. However, if I, if I type it, the, if I type into the address bar, October NR Sonos, it will search just the October NR uh, folder of bookmarks for things that have Sonos in it instead of again, taking you to a Google search for it. So that's the interesting bit that maybe you'll see in this. These new features help you to avoid an unnecessary or unintended side trip through Google search. Uh, and it gets even better with this perspective in mind. Now, uh, the fourth feature, the address bar will look at what you're typing and suggest a website that Google search associates with what you've typed so far. That's assuming that whatever that's what site is, it's popular enough for Google to make that guess, you know, to make that connection. So once again, they'll catch typos, but this will even work for sites that you haven't even visited. Uh, and like if you uh, type travel, it will auto populate with URLs for like Expedia, Google travel, Google, uh, 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 hotels.com, uh, stuff like that. Again, even if you haven't visited it at all. Um, and there's, I said there were five, the last one, not relevant to our conversation here. It's just a tweak to the layout to make the address bar easy to read. Wonderful. But I can't help but focus on those other features and that commonality of trying to get you not to, not to visit Google search. Now, I, I, they'd love for you to do that. That's where they, that's where their ad, a lot of ads are. That's where they make a lot of their money, but they're trying to basically take every incidence in which you didn't really need to search for something. You just were, you know, you just, you just realized that after years and years and years of just, uh, of using this address bar, it's a lot faster to simply, uh, uh, type Insta or type 
R-E-D into the search bar, address bar, and then boom, go right to Reddit or even go right to the subreddit that you wanted to, want to hit rather than click on a bookmark or something like that. That's interesting uh, that is trying to uh, get you to not have to go to Google search if you don't need or want to. Uh, because again, we've been talking about the Department of Justice antitrust suit against Google regarding its absolutely, absolute ironclad dominance of search. So I got to wonder if at least part of why Google is rolling out these new features uh, to the address bar is to, you know, throw some meat to the wolves, get them like, <laughs> make them give them full bellies and, you know, make them a little bit more <laughs> in more inclined to look upon Google's fav Google favorably. Like they can say, see, see, we keep adding features uh, to, to our stuff solely to improve the product and improve the user experience, even if it means that the users of the world's most popular web browser are visiting Google search less and less and less. It's a sacrifice we're willing to make. And I wouldn't put it past them, but there could be cost reasons too. Um, every Google search query costs Google some amount of money. Uh, so if Google can eliminate these kinds of totally accidental and incidental search queries, the kind that don't generate any profits, because again, it's just a shortcut for, uh, uh, it's just shortcuts because you, it's just something that happened because you misspelled, uh, misspelled Reddit or misspelled Instagram. If they can avoid sending people on a trip to Google search, it's not going to make them any money. That's some money that they, that Google gets to save. Um, just to give you some perspective here, an analyst from Morgan Stanley estimated a little bit earlier that each search query costs Google about a third of a cent. Uh, you multiply that by 3.3 trillion search queries a year, and that's $11 billion that uh, Google search costs just on the electricity, just on the, not, not with the engineering or anything like that, just to keep the light, just, just to function just to uh, function that search that's 11 billion dollars so if it can <laughs> half a million half a billion dollars is a half a billion dollars um and reuters uh, published an article in february that seems really really relevant today uh with this new news uh they interviewed john hennessy who's the chairman of alphabet this is about their about uh, Alphabet and Google's AI initiatives, and uh, he estimated that a query that uses an uh, that's based on an AI model would cost about ten times as much to perform by Google as a regular Google search would. So you link that up with the fact that Google seems to intend to use lang large language models as you know as a flavor enhancer for Google search. That means that if every single time someone uses Google search, it gets run through AI even if it's not necessarily like a generative AI, Google Bard type search, uh, these search queries become a lot more expensive and therefore the motivation for making them cost, for, for uh, uh, trimming off all the unnecessary ones, that now becomes, if it, now we're not, I, I can't believe that I'm about to say that uh, uh, if an AI powered Google search <laughs> costs, uh, uh, a third uh, instead of a third of a cent it costs like three times a third of a cent so now it's costing like two or three whole cents that's not two or three pennies now we're talking real money <laughs> so maybe they're again motivated to make sure that they get hit as f anytime there's an going to be an unprofitable visit to google search that that gets nipped in the bud um, now I'm sure that by the time they actually implement all of this AI, it's not going to cost uh, uh, three cents per search. That seems like a, again, I can't believe I'm saying three cents seems like a lot of money, but again, 3.3 trillion search queries a year. 
yeah, that's uh, as, as someone who like <laughs> I I can I can commiserate I, I can uh, I can uh, emph- emphasize emph- emph- empathize because recently I had to do the heartbreaking thing of like trimming down my uh, my Patreon support <laughs> because I got I got my Patreon bills like oh my god I'm spending like like hundred something dollars on like Patreon every single month because when I first started supporting people, it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll, Oh, I'm happy to give you five bucks a month for your wonderful content. Oh, I'm happy to give you like a $3 a month. Ooh, wow. So you're giving uh, so at the $10 level. I can also get these bonus videos that I really enjoy. Great. And like after three or four years, it's like, Oh my God. And <laughs> you realize that in the larger scheme of things, I, I'm proud to say that even though I am a freelance journalist, you know, I can absorb $80, extra 80, $90 a month. That's not going to like bankrupt me. It's still nice to have that 80 or $90 in, the, in my pocket. And so maybe that's kind of what they're doing. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Flo will be back next week. Hallelujah. Uh, until then, go to Gizmodo to check out the stuff that she writes uh, for that August publication. You can also check out Oh That Flow, where she, uh, she is on social media, every social media, except for Twitter slash X. I am still a craven miscreant who is still somewhat on Twitter. I got one toe left on Twitter, though it disgusts me. Uh, but uh, spell my last name correctly, Anatko, I-H-N-A-T-K-O, on Twitter, Instagram, blue sky, whatever. I'm on Boston public radio, uh, at WGBHnews.org. I'm actually going to be on this Friday. As a matter of fact, live at the Boston public library studios at 1230. So you can stream that live or later. You can also go to the WGBH news channel on YouTube. Uh, cause when I'm in the studio, it's that's on camera and they, they put it on YouTube. I got to look nice for Friday. I, I don't like that at all. I like, I like being in the studio. I like being face to face with the other hosts where we're having these conversations about tech, but I don't like having to pick out a tie. I don't. Uh, as always, you can help support our show and everything else on the wonderful relay.fm network by becoming a member. So head on over to relay.fm slash material to sign up and gain access to special members only episodes produced by all of relays and contributors and contributors, including us. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for listening to material this time. We hope you're going to be listening again next week. And until then, everybody, please have a happy, safe, and healthy seven days. Bye-bye.